Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. We all have in common, it seems, is that we're surrounded by bad news. It takes many shapes, many forms, it comes from many sources, but ultimately uh, bad news seems to throw itself at us every day. Today we're going to look at a word, the gospel, that simply means good news. For those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ and in Him alone, our lives are built upon that good news, just like we sang about a moment ago. No matter how bad it is around us, within us, that good news transforms who we are. We were in uh, driving through Dallas yesterday, and we saw a big billboard that um, had a picture of a pastor and his wife that, that could have had their, their faces and their teeth on a dental wall to advertise the smile. And right across the top, it, it had the church name, and it said, a positive and motivational message and I thought how misleading that is because who reads that billboard lost people read that billboard and there is nothing positive about their condition if they are not in Christ all we have for them is bad news and that is that they are separated from God that they have offended a holy God and they are living under his wrath. There is bad news that has to be told. It can't just be positive and motivational. You can motivate people to do better, but only Christ can make them better. And so what a, what a deceiving message that appeared to me because our goal is not to, to motivate. Our goal is not just to be positive. Our goal is to be true to the good news as it resides in the person of Jesus Christ. But if you have come to Christ, then you know that transition that takes place. You hear the bad news of living under the wrath of God, destined for an eternal hell, separated from God. You are well aware of that. But the good news is that God has done something on our behalf through the death of his son to remedy our condition of lostness to bring us into his kingdom and to set us right with him isn't that good news but no matter how good the news is if a person hasn't stepped out of that bad news into that good news they're still living in that realm of bad news aren't they so our goal is to be true to the scripture and to present both the bad news and the good news. And so first we have to hear the bad news in order for the good news to be as good as it really is. And so that's what I've been talking about as, as we've entered into this message. Now there's an image that's connected to the word gospel in the text we're about to look at. The image is that of footwear. Remember uh, soldier's armor is being described as God's armory has provided for us to enter into battle. Uh, we've talked about the, the belt of truth that holds us tightly. We've talked about the breastplate of righteousness that guards our heart and helps us to pursue a right living. Today we're going to talk about the footwear of the gospel of peace. It's important to have the, the right footwear for the right occasion. Let me tell you about some of my footwear. These are my preacher shoes. Uh, believe it or not, I, I don't wear these to play with the grandkids. I, I don't just hang out in these shoes. They're pretty much reserved for my role as a preacher. 
Then I have some, some old Sperry's. We used to call them topsiders that sit by the back door. When I'm in the house relaxing and, and I need to go outside quickly to take out trash or whatever, I, I slip those on for that occasion. Then I have these, these wonderful, comfortable sandals. When I'm, uh, it's kind of a, a jean and Hawaiian shirt day, and I, I wear these closed-toe sandals that, that just fit so well on my feet and make them feel so loved and special, and so I'm just hanging out in those. Then I have my everyday shoes. They're a, a kind of what they look kind of like hush puppies, but they're a, a different brand. Um, I wear those every day to the office. Then I have these really special shoes that um, I, I chose to get at a youth Christmas party. They're like big monster or ogre house shoes that have these, these long-looking toenails. They're oversized. They have fur right across the top of the foot. Uh, those are my grandkids' shoes. Uh, when they come to the house, I, I come walking in in that, a hat that has goofy ears. And um, if you spent a day with me and my grandkids, you would have a hard time not laughing while I preached. But all that footwear is for a special occasion. I, I used to wear some nice basketball shoes to play basketball in the gym, but one day I realized something was happening. There was this battle inside me. My, my brain was saying go and my body was saying no. So finally my body won that battle. And so they're no longer in my repertoire of footwear. Well, it's important to have the right footwear for the right occasion. The scripture here implies that when you receive Christ and you come to know him and you put your trust in him, you are equipped with the right footwear for the journey and the battle you will be engaged in. Uh, your feet are shod with the gospel of the preparation of the readiness of the gospel of peace. And that's what you move along on in your life as a believer. Uh, so I want us to look today at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, and talk about what it means to walk in this good news of the gospel of peace. So let's look together at Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read beginning in verse 11. As we begin in verse 11, I want you to hear the word stand and withstand because this, this piece of armor that seems so simple and less needed is so crucial to do just that. It says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles and schemings of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would take this simple image and make it live in our minds with a, a true urgency and a deep desire to please you. And so, Father, I do pray that you would speak through me today. 
because unless you speak, I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the most renowned NCAA coaches of all time was named John Wooden. He was a very special man, a very peculiar man in a sense, because he, he viewed life in a proper way, had great influence on other coaches. He won 10 out of 12 national championships, which is a pretty amazing feat, uh, won 88 games in a row. One year, he coached under his coaching crew the two best teams in the nation. He coached the varsity team of UCLA, and he oversaw the freshman team of UCLA, which the freshman team could beat the varsity team, but the freshman couldn't play yet, and so hence he had this long legacy of wins. What an amazing record he had. So what was the secret? If you could go into the mind of John Wooden and and kind of explore that, what, what would you think in your mind, just think about this, what would you think would be the first thing he would say to his team when he stood before them for the first time to start the year? This is what he would say. Gentlemen, this is how you tie a shoe. These are some of the greatest athletes in the college world, and he's teaching them how to tie their shoe. So he put his foot up on the bench, and he would proceed to show them how to tightly tie their shoe, how to reinforce it to where it was not going to come untied, where it was not going to be loose and cause blisters on the bottom of their feet that would distract them in the, the challenge of the game, where they would not turn ankles or, or, or lose their footing because he knew that the secret of their success would hinge on their ability to stand and to move properly in the heat of battle. So many times when you read the armor here, if you're like me, you, you're kind of puzzled at what does that even mean? Shod your feet with the preparation or the readiness of the gospel of peace. Well, let's look together at the gospel. I think understanding the gospel will help us to better understand this image of footwear. I want to remind you that God has an armory that counter everything Satan would hurl at us. Here today, we have been given the footwear of the gospel of peace to defend us against Satan's arsenal of despair. It's the peace that God has given us through the gospel that causes us not to despair and to live with great hope. So let's look at the nature of the gospel. First of all, the gospel is God-given and Scripture-driven. You can rest assured in the gospel because it's, it's God-given and it's Scripture-driven in our lives. See, we live in a world with no hope. We live in a world that has a shelf life. We live in a world that even the best of what mankind can do is tainted with sin. Therefore, the only good news that could transform that human condition has to come from outside of that group of humanity, and that comes from God himself. The scripture gives us the gospel, and so it is God-given from the one who is good, the one who is in control, the one who is holy and righteous, the one who is eternal and uncreated. He is the one that gives us the gospel. The gospel is God-given, and he has revealed it to us in the scripture. Therefore, it's scripture-driven. So one question you might often hear is, what is the gospel? In many churches, 
you'll hear today people preach about the gospel, but there's a vast difference in preaching about the gospel and preaching the gospel. So what is the gospel at the very heart? We've talked about that it means good news. It means a joyful message, but, but at the very heart, what is the gospel? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we see the truth and reality that the gospel is God-given and Scripture-driven. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You'll recall that Saul of Tarsus was seeking to destroy the church and the followers of Christ, and as he sought to do that, he was encountered by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Later on, Saul of Tarsus, we come to know him as the Apostle Paul. After he came to Christ, he spent a lengthy period of time alone with God, and God revealed truth to him as an apostle. And this is what he's referring to. He says in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So that passage clearly tells us that the gospel is God-given and Scripture-driven. Now, what Scriptures were he referring to? He's referring to the Old Testament. All of the prophecies of the Savior were fulfilled in the New Testament, but they were forecasted from the Old Testament. And even in the Old Testament, you have the the gospel or the good news about the one who would come and do what it says there, that he would die for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. Now, many would say, but that's not the full gospel. The full gospel involves me. No, the good news has nothing to do with me. The good news is apart from me. The bad news is me. I am lost and separated from God. I have no hope in and of myself. There is no way I can be religious enough or good enough to even begin the first step toward God. But the good news apart from me is that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. In Romans 5, 8, that's what it says. And so here it's saying Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. In doing so, he took on our sin on the cross. We come to understand that, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. He took our sin in his body on that tree that we might become righteous before God. But the gospel has to do with what Jesus did, not what we do. And the gospel is that Jesus died ultimately paying for all of sin of all of humanity. He, he rose again, conquering death, and he offers us forgiveness and eternal life. That's the benefit of the gospel. The benefit and the blessing of the gospel is that I can partake of the gospel, the good news. Jesus died. I recognize that. I believe in that. I put my trust in that. I believe he rose from the dead. And in doing so, by putting my trust and faith in that, I am made alive in him. And I will have eternal life in his presence when I die. So many times we just hear about the blessings of the gospel, the benefits of the gospel, that you'll have peace, you'll have this and that. But the reality is, we had offended a holy God. It's really bad news. And we are at war with God. We have defied him. But Christ, God himself, became man, 
took on our sin, died on the cross, buried and rose the third day. That is the gospel. That's the good news. And so if you're looking for a simple but profound definition of the gospel, it's right there in those verses. The simple truth about Jesus. Well, then the second thing about the gospel the good news of the gospel and Jesus Christ are inseparable. The good news of the gospel and Jesus Christ are inseparable. So if you hear someone preach a message or uh, broadcast something, they declare to be the gospel, but the person of Christ is absent from that, that's not the gospel. The good news of the gospel and Jesus Christ are inseparable. We found that in the passage we just read. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures that all sinners on the person of Jesus Christ. So the, the gospel has God the Father at its source and Jesus Christ, his son, as the subject. That is the full gospel. Now, there are blessings and benefits of that gospel, but they're not tied to the good news. The good news resides in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why it tells us to put on the footwear of the gospel of peace. See, if I stood before you today uh, trying to be good enough to preach this message, or if I was standing here in my own self-righteousness, I would feel so inadequate. I would feel so vulnerable that you might truly know who I am, how I have struggles in my life and I, I fail and, and I struggle just like anyone in this world, but, but I don't stand here in my own righteousness. I stand here in the righteousness of Christ. I stand here not to tell you how good I am. I, I want to tell you how good God is and how good he's been to me through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I stand here with great confidence. I don't uh, hold back. I don't push away. I, I just come at you with the gospel because I know that Jesus is faithful and true. And I don't have to worry. I don't have to defend it. I don't have to do anything but just proclaim the gospel. And so the good news of the gospel and Jesus Christ are inseparable. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're still there at 1 Corinthians, take a right. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Another verse about the gospel. This is the second letter Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And he says in verse 3, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now, is that a statement about the gospel or a statement about those who are perishing? It's about those who are perishing. If you present the gospel to someone that Jesus died, he gave his life on the cross for our sins, as we read just a moment ago, that he rose from the dead, and they said, I just don't get it. That's not a statement slurring the gospel. It's a statement about their condition. It says the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. You have to have spiritual minds understand spiritual truth. God has to intervene by his Holy Spirit and bring conviction in that person's life. But notice how he describes here a person who does not get the gospel. Their minds, the God of this age, have, have, has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should 
shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Look at that picture. He says that Satan is doing everything he can, the God of this age, to blind people's eyes to the gospel. They are perishing. They are lost and separated from God. They are already living under the condemnation of God, apart from repentance and turning to Christ. That will be their condition throughout all eternity. They will suffer and they will be horribly tormented in a place called hell if there is not a turning to the gospel. So the God of this age has blinded their eyes to the gospel lest they turn and experience the light of the gospel. Do you remember when that happened to you? Your eyes were blinded. You thought you could live without Christ. But then the light of the gospel burst in on your life. And you realized that you were a sinner in desperate need of a Savior, and the Savior had already taken care of the problem for you. That was the best day for you. That was the worst day for Satan. Because if you repented and put your faith and trust in Christ, and you are resting in him, then you are a child of God, not a child of darkness anymore. So if Satan can't blind you anymore, what does he want to do? If he can't blind you, he loves to blindside you. He loves to knock you off balance. He loves to hinder your mobility. He loves to come at your security. He he, he wants to blindside you with despair. Because he can't blind you, he wants to blindside you. So if you're in this battle and you're, you're moving forward because we've talked about the spiritual armor is not just given so that we can lean back in a recliner and kind of bounce off all the things Satan would throw out. No, we're, we're invading his territory with the gospel. Therefore, we have to have the right footwear to stand and to be mobile and to be agile in bringing the gospel to others. And so we always have to be on our guard that our lives are firmly implanted in the gospel lest the one who had blinded us now will blindside us and knock our life out of balance. So what a wonderful image that is of the footwear. And so Satan longs to disrupt the peace in your heart. If you have made peace with God, you've moved from Satan's team to God's team. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if he can't keep you from being at peace with God, he he loves to attack the peace within you that God has given you. How do you remedy that? You plant your feet firmly in the footwear of the gospel of peace. Did you know that Satan can never tell you anything about you that you wouldn't agree with? Oh, you're a sinner. Who are you to get up there and preach? Yeah, I'm a sinner, but I have God's word. I'm not preaching me. I'm preaching Christ. But what if I start listening to that? Yeah, who am I to preach? Who am I to preach? I get up here and I apologize and I... Da, 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 da. No, I, I preach with great authority, not my own authority, the authority of God. Yeah, he knows all that yuck about me, but, but he's trying to get me to get my eyes off of Jesus, the one who has made me right with God and has dressed me in his righteousness. Satan longs to poison your peace with despair. And the only way he can do that is to get your eyes off of Jesus because Jesus and the gospel are inseparable. If there's no Jesus, there is no gospel. And apart from Christ, there is no gospel and there is no good news. 
Let's look at 2 Timothy at how Jesus and the gospel are inseparable. 2 Timothy, uh, let's look at chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says in verse 8 of 2 Timothy 2, Remember that Jesus Christ, some translations just say remember Jesus Christ, of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. So here, the gospel is equated with the person of Christ. It's equated with the word of God. They are inseparable. The gospel and the word of God are inseparable from the person of Christ. Now, would you agree on the horizon in our nation that there are some restrictions that are coming our way? Uh, would you agree that, that it, it's not as profitable to be a member of a church now as it was in the past? Just look at people running for office. Very few of them put what they are supposed to do at the church as if they're doing it when they run for office. I mean, that's how I learned how many of our inactive members were part of our church in years past is because they would run for office and they would talk about their membership at the church and the problem was I didn't even know them it used to be very profitable it's not there are restrictions being brought toward the church it's on the horizon it's, it's going to get worse and worse will those restrictions hinder the gospel no Paul describes it vividly it's for the gospel that I'm in chains, but the word of God is not chained. Did you know right now one of the biggest spiritual awakenings that's happening in the world is happening in Iran? The church is just going crazy. It's multiplying. Did you know in China, the underground church there is huge and multiplying? Because everywhere people try to contain the gospel, it thrives. Because you can't chain the word of God. You can't contain the gospel. You can't restrain it. It, it spreads and it, it has power beyond human limitations. And so here he says in, in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead descended from david what's he talking about he's talking about prophecies he'd come as a descendant of david he would rise from the dead he's the one he says remember him i'm suffering for this gospel even to the point of being chained like a criminal but god's word is not chained here's the reality there'll be a day when none of us in the room are alive unless the lord returns and guess what the gospel will go on there may be a day when this church is no longer a church like churches in England that have become other things because of restrictions and apathy and all the things that could happen here. Even if this church had to close its doors, the gospel goes on. The gospel cannot be chained. I'm not saying I'm looking for that. I'm not saying I'm desiring that, but I'm saying even if the worst thing happened, the gospel continues to spread because you cannot snuff out the gospel. People who have declared that the gospel was going to die out or the word of God was going to die out, guess what? They were buried in a cemetery where the gospel continues to be read over those tombstones every time there's a death it seems the bible lasts and is eternal so when you read the bible and you read the first four books of the new testament sometimes we will casually refer to the gospel of matthew 
or the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Luke, Gospel of John. That, that's an inaccurate statement. There's one gospel, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the proper way to say that in a gospel context is the first book of the New Testament is the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Matthew. The second book is the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark. The third book is the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Luke. The fourth book is the gospel of Jesus Christ according to John. And the final book of the Bible is the revelation, singular, the revelation of Jesus Christ as recorded by John. From the beginning of the New Testament, the end of the New Testament, it's all about Jesus from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the Old Testament, it points forward to Jesus. The New Testament points back to Him. Everything is about Jesus. And then in Revelation, it points forward to His second coming. Isn't that great? It's not a book about how to be inspired and motivated and how to do this and do that. It's how to allow the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the person of Christ, to transform your life. And if you miss Jesus in the Bible, you've missed the whole point of the Bible because the gospel and Jesus Christ are inseparable. Apart from Christ, there is no hope and there is no good news. So many people say, well, you know, I, I don't really believe the Bible, but I believe in Jesus. You can't separate the two. What you've just said is I have no clue about who Christ is. Because the good news of the gospel recorded in Scripture and Jesus Christ are inseparable. They are one and the same. Well, then thirdly and finally, the gospel of Jesus Christ has the first and final say in your life. The gospel of Jesus Christ has the first and final say in your life. That's pictured in the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark chapter 1 and chapter 16. If you look at chapter 1 of the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark, chapter 1, and listen, I'm going to have to work on that as hard as you will. And it's okay to correct each other with love. Just say, hey, remember, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 of the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark. Now, after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. What did Jesus preach? He preached the gospel. He preached the kingdom of God. That would be graphically displayed in his life, his death, and his resurrection and his ascension. And this is what he said in verse 15, it says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So what does that mean? Well, we've talked about it before. To repent means you're walking in one direction away from God. You're captured by the enemy, you're blinded to your sin, you are serving him, you are living for the enemy, and you're walking away from God. What, what happens in our lives when the light comes on? We, we repent, we make an about face, and we believe. There's a big discussion, do we repent first, do we believe first? Yeah, think it's all wrapped up in one you you wouldn't repent if you didn't believe and you wouldn't believe if you didn't repent i think it's all wrapped up together he he says repent and believe the gospel turn from all the deception all the lies all the bad news that satan's made to look like good news you turn from all of that you repent and you believe the gospel you turn to christ and you trust him and you believe the gospel until you believe the gospel, which is the person of Jesus Christ, he embodies the good news. Until you have trusted him as your Lord and Savior, you have failed to understand the true gospel. That has the first say of your life. 
The first say is you are created in the image of God. The Bible says that. You have a problem just like our parents did, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We have fallen in our sin. We are separated from God. That's one thing we all have in common. We have this great need. This chasm exists between us and God that only the cross of Christ can bridge. And when you come to trust Christ, he carries you across into the kingdom of God. It has the first word. Then if you look at the end of the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Mark, chapter 16, the final chapter, you see it has the final word. It has the first and final word over us. Chapter 16, verse 15. Here Jesus has appeared to the 11 apostles. Judas has betrayed him and committed suicide. So now there's 11. And his last instruction here is, and Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What does that tell you? Every person on the globe is an object of God's love. He desires that everyone hear the gospel to every creature. Then it says in verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Is that saying baptism is necessary for salvation? No, when you put it with the full scope of Scripture, that's the first act of obedience, to come forward with your faith. So that's the final word over those who trust Christ. Yes, if you trust Christ and you put your faith and trust in his death, his burial, and his resurrection on your behalf, and you trust him alone for your salvation alone, he who believes will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. John 3 says he is condemned already. So you might say, well, I'm going to have the final say. No, you don't have the final say. The gospel has the first and final say over us. As long as you are apart from Christ, you have no hope and no help in this world. You are Lost, and you that's the bad news. And, and, and that's the first word the gospel has for us. The, the first word in our new life is repent and believe. And when you repent and believe, then the next word is stated redeemed. Repent, redeemed, instantaneously. If you repent and embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have repented, first word of the gospel. Redeemed, final word of the gospel. You are sealed for all eternity. The gospel has the first and final say over all of us. One thing we also have in common today is none of us can say we've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ because we have heard it over and over and over, even in this short, brief time, much less all the other messages you've heard. So we're to repent and believe the gospel. There's a great danger in our world that I want to end with. In Galatians chapter 1, if you take a right there and you go through Romans, keep going, First and Second Corinthians, keep going, you'll probably end up in Ephesians, take a left and go back. Galatians chapter 1. There's a grave warning we need to hear. In verse 6, of Galatians 1, it says, to people that had professed faith in Christ, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him, Christ, who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. The Greek word there for different is heteros, different. That means another of a different kind. which is not another. What he's saying is, that's really not a gospel because the good news of the gospel resides in who? In Christ. 
But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert or distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, Paul says, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. He, he says it twice there. So if you hear someone say, no, that's not the gospel. The gospel's this. Move away because they are coming under the condemnation of God. Paul says it so strongly, even if I or an angel from heaven appear and preach another gospel. Have you heard any false teachers say they saw an angel from heaven and he told them a different gospel? You know what he saw? He didn't see an angel from heaven. He saw a demon from hell. And they proclaim a different gospel. What does it mean to proclaim a different gospel? It's taking away from or adding to the true gospel. What is the true gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the basic definition of the gospel in the scripture. Have you heard people say, yeah, Jesus is great, but have you say, no, I don't want to know that. I want to know Jesus. It was the gospel that was proclaimed by the apostles. Some people say, well, the apostles shifted away from the gospel of Christ onto the Holy Spirit. One problem with that, they haven't read the Acts of the Apostles. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ they were proclaiming. That's what brought persecution in their life. That's what brought power into their life. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit was sent to magnify the person of Christ. And on and on we could go with examples. Last week I attended... Uh, with others from our church, the a Southern Baptist of Texas Convention Evangelism Conference called the Empower Conference. One of the speakers was Benny Hinn's nephew. Okay, now, now catch your thoughts for a second. He came to a point where he realized he wasn't sovereign, God was sovereign. He came to a point where he realized that Scripture was the Word of God and it could be trusted and you didn't have to add your experience to it. He realized that the, the heart of the gospel is the person of Christ, not him. And he professed faith in Christ and was saved. He is serving as an executive pastor at a Bible church today. It's a marvelous testimony. It's a marvelous picture of Galatians 1. Someone who heard a different gospel came to believe the true gospel. You might say, well, why did you mention that name? Well, why not? If my children are there with one of my grandkids and I say, hey, there's three unmarked bottles under the sink that we don't have child locks or anything and two of them fine for the kids to play with one of them's poison i'm not sure which one i'm not going to tell you i kind of know but i'm not going to tell you would that be fair no that make the poison even more dangerous people say well uh, this person is so sincere and they they motivate me uh, they just don't talk much about Jesus. They don't mention the cross. They, they speak well of the Bible, but they don't speak the Bible. Uh, they fall into Galatians chapter 1 territory, don't they? Because the gospel and Jesus Christ are inseparable. The word of God and Jesus Christ are inseparable. Every blessing pronounced in this Bible is connected to the people who have come to Christ because they believed the gospel. And apart from that, there is no blessing. So let me ask you a question. Are you believing and embracing and promoting 
a gospel that centers on Christ or a gospel that centers on you? So the question is, are you standing? I mean, are you you standing with your feet shod with the gospel of the preparation of peace? Are you standing? Where are you standing? Are you standing on Christ, the solid rock? What are you standing on? Are you standing on the, the gospel? Jesus Christ. We believe this so strongly that when we renovated this sanctuary, some of you were there, we handed out Sharpies and we made our way around this room writing scripture on the floor, on the steps here. Every time I stand here, there's scripture under the pulpit, around the pulpit, under my feet. As I proclaim the gospel, I am standing on the gospel. When you stand to sing, you are very likely standing on the word of God, the gospel, and proclaiming your love for Christ. Isn't that beautiful? And I'm telling you, if you're standing on anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're not standing, you're falling. You might say, well, I'm doing great. Well, you do great in quicksand for a little while. But wouldn't you think a man to be a fool if he was in quicksand and he was singing and he was saying, "Mm, so far, so good. So far, so good. No, you want to stand in Christ. It's a battle. And the gospel is at stake. Why is the gospel at stake? Because whatever you do with the gospel determines your eternal destiny. That's why. God loves you and Satan hates you and he wants to take you to hell with him. God wants to bring you into his presence eternally. What have you done with the gospel of Jesus Christ? We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.